Jimmy Spencer covers the NBA for Fox Sports, and he joins us now in the BTG studio line. Jimmy, welcome to the program. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, news coming out of your part of the world as Sacramento Kings have hired George Carl. He'll be the team's third coach this season. Why would they do that now as opposed to waiting until the end of the year? I think it makes it makes sense to do it at the end of the year so you can get a fresh start so George Carl comes in with positive vibes. Uh, however, I think the reality is George Carl was a man being pursued by other teams. Uh, the Orlando Magic, for instance, are a team looking for a coach. So the Kings weren't the only one who wanted him. And I think that part of that plays in getting started early, getting him signed on. He'll get a good look at the team this year. So I think George Carl is the type of coach with his experience that wants to be involved in personnel decisions. And I think this summer the Kings are going to have some big decisions to make about what direction they want to go. And with George Carl in the fray, now he can kind of help guide those decisions, but also he becomes a coach that players around the league are more likely to want to come play for. So I think you make that move now. He gets in with DeMarcus Cousins early. You know, he builds some relationships, and he's better set for next week. We heard that DeMarcus Cousins didn't really care for the move. There was that awkward video where he's asking, how do you stop God? Is that accurate, or is that something the media just created? And what was that video all about? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, I wasn't in the locker room. I, I saw the video like everybody else, but I do have a unique perspective of knowing DeMarcus Cousins since he was a rookie. I covered, I was covering the Kings for NBA.com during his rookie season and really got to know him over the years. Did a big feature piece with him a couple of years ago where I spent a day with him at his home and really got to know him. And he's a guy who he just kind of says what's on his heart at that moment. As you can see, he's highly emotional on the court. And after games, I think he's just, he was fed up. He's fed up with the frustration of losing year after year. He's fed up with the fact that he liked Mike Malone, and now Malone's gone, and Tyrone Corbin came in. I don't think he felt that they treated Corbin very well either. So I think at this point, it's just kind of like hands up in the air, like, hey, no one's asking me. I'm not part of this. Like, you guys are asking me these questions. I don't know how to answer it. Um, but I don't really think it was a knock on George Carl by any means. I think in the end, I think these two are going to be a perfect pair. It's not really the halfway point, but as we reach the break in the NBA season, does the MVP come down to Steph Curry or James Harden, and who do you think wins out? Uh, those are two two uh, two worthy MVPs, I think, both obviously with winning teams. The Warriors with that incredible record and what Steph Curry's done, I think Curry is in that maybe 1A spot. But if you look at 1B, what James Harden has done with, Without Dwight Howard playing lately, James Harden's been just phenomenal. And James Harden started to play on the defensive side of the ball this year as well. So he's more of a complete player than he was in the past. Uh, so it's a tough call at this point, you know, and I think it could come down to which team finishes this uh, last one-third of the season better. And uh, two worthy worthy MVPs, though, that's for sure. Huh? We're talking with Jimmy Spencer. He covers the NBA for Fox Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jimmy Spencer NBA. In the Eastern Conference, it seems like the Cavs may finally be putting it together. Meanwhile, the Hawks are not still not getting the respect that they deserve. Are the Cavs the team to beat in the East, or do the Hawks or maybe even the Raptors have what it takes to win the East? I think that the Cavs are the team to beat. I think that earlier in the year, uh, this offseason, one thing that I kept saying was, and you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the shoulder here, but it's going to sound that way. I I thought that the Heat, or sorry, the LeBron James leaving the Heat and going to the Cavs shifted the power to Cleveland. And I knew it also would take a little while. It wasn't going to happen overnight when you talk about Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, two guys that aren't used to winning, 
um, and all the other moving pieces that go into an NBA franchise. It wasn't like just dropping LeBron in was going to be automatic. So, you know, I was always saying it would be about mid-January before they kind of started to catch rhythm. And that was exactly when January 15th is when that 12-game winning streak started. And now the way they're surging, I just think – I'm not saying that the Hawks peaked too early because we haven't seen that yet, but it's a lot to ask the Hawks to hold on. I think the Hawks will take that number one seed, but headed into the postseason, do the Hawks have that number one guy who can take over when the game slows down and changes in the postseason? I'm still not sure they have that guy. I think Orford and Millsap are incredible on the block, but they're not go-to scores necessarily. So they have a lot to prove there. Why LeBron James has proven that he can lead his team to the finals uh, four years in a row. I think uh, Cleveland is the team to be in the East still. There's so many good teams in the West, and of course some of the big guys are starting to be affected by injuries, and Golden State has been the class of the conference all year. Will they be able to hold up down the stretch playing that up-tempo game? Right now, they're looking ragged. They look tired. Uh, you know, I'm out here in the Bay Area, so I get a chance to see up close and personal this Golden State team. And they're definitely not the same team they were even just a couple weeks ago right now. They're really tired coming into the break. Uh, but one of the nice things about having a 42 and nine record and getting, you know, seven games up on the three seed right now, Portland, um, there's kind of that chunk, Portland, Houston, Dallas, the Clippers and the Spurs, who are all just about that seven, eight, nine games back of the Warriors. They have a little bit of room to breathe. So this extended all-star break couldn't be more perfect for Golden State right now. Golden State's still young, so most of their guys are going to come back and have enough life. I think Steve Kerr is going to have a very tall task, though, to make sure he's limiting the minutes. Earlier in the year, they were blowing teams out, so their starters were sitting in the fourth quarter. But the way they've been finishing games so poorly lately, they haven't had that opportunity to do that. And I think that's that's held them back and one of the reasons why they've been so tired. So it's really up to Steve Kerr to manage these minutes down the stretch and try and get some life, especially for a guy like Andrew Bogut, who they're going to need so much in the playoffs. One last NBA question for you. The Knicks, uh, they're my team. A couple of us here in studio, we're Knicks fans. And can they attract free agents needed to make the team competitive? Or are they going to have to abandon the triangle altogether in order to be able to do that? Huh. Well, first off, my apologies to you and your friends in the studio <laughs> there for being Knicks fans. I know this season has not been a positive one overall. And with this email from James Dolan, it's just been a total mess over there. But I think that, uh, looking ahead to the future and, and what you guys do have, um, you have Carmelo Anthony. Let's start there. He is a superstar. You need a superstar. I don't think the Knicks regret signing him and bringing him back. He hasn't proven that he's the number one guy. Um, but the Knicks have to really look about how they're going to rebuild this. So many times they've tried that quick rebuild, uh, bringing in guys on big contracts, guys who have been names, guys who have done stuff before but are on the tail end of things. And I think that they kind of need to flip that script and try what they tried years ago, back during the Eddie Curry experiment years. Uh, even though it didn't work then, I think it's time for the Knicks rebuild and start fresh the best that they can, not trying to make any quick fixes, not trying to like work some crazy deal to bring Kobe Bryant Jackson together or anything like that. I think they need to step back and start a true rebuild. And I think Phil Jackson recognized that. I just don't know if he'll have the patience with all the pressure on him. Actually, I got one more just came to mind. Speaking of the Knicks and Amari Stoudemire, is it possible he's played his last game in New York? You wonder about a team like the Clippers with Blake Griffin being out for a couple of weeks, if they could use a big man like Amari. 
Yeah, anytime that there's mutual interest in partying, I think that the the chance is definitely there and high. And I think for for the Knicks on the Knicks end, they, if they can save some money, they don't they don't need Amari Stoudemire uh, to finish off uh, that contract. And Amari Stoudemire, he doesn't have that much time left. He's playing relatively healthy basketball right now, and that's that's a rarity for him, obviously. So getting him in a place where he can actually play and maybe get into the postseason, I think that would be huge for his individual career. So. With that mutual interest, I definitely see it as a possibility. You know, possible landing spots. You mentioned the Clippers. That's a good one. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks are just, they all year have been saying they need a backup for Tyson Chandler and a guy who can, you know, bully himself to the basket a few times a game is exactly who Amari Stoudemire is. So, and even Golden State, I don't know how much they'd be willing to shake up, but they're going to want an extra big in there at some point. So maybe Amari is some guy who can go to Golden State. So there's a lot of different options for contenders who can be bigs. We're talking with Jimmy Spencer, NBA writer, whose Twitter activity is really a party in 140 characters or less. You can follow him at Jimmy Spencer NBA. You cover the NBA, Jimmy, and of course you're a sports fan in general. You're a believer in Christ. You balance those things well on social media. You wrote an article on the World Series champion San Francisco Giants and the many players of faith they have on their team. What, if anything, has that meant to you to witness so many outspoken believers talking about their faith so openly? Yeah, I, you know, the Simpsonville Giants have been an incredible uh, testimony. I think that you look at that team, there's a lot of guys who have faith in Christ and guys who really walk it. And you see it kind of in the way that they speak to fans, the way they speak to media, and the way they represent themselves. And I think those are always strong qualities to have. I mean, right now, just here in the Bay Area, you have one guy who is a um, just an incredible example of that, and that's Steph Curry. Steph Curry has, you know, time and time again said he's not a beat-you-over-the-head-with-the-Bible type guy, but he wants to live out his life in a way that resembles how Jesus wants him to live his life. And people take to that. I mean, you look around. He was the leading vote-getter in the NBA. Also, of course, that has a lot to do with the way he plays and his style. But have you ever heard a negative thing about the personality of Steph Curry? Because I have not. And I've seen him just do incredible things, genuine acts. And I think in sports, you tend to deal with a lot of egos. And there's a lot lot there, and it can get harsh at some point. But I think your testimony is not just the words you say for why you believe to other men and women. It's how you act and care in the character of Jesus. And I think that that's what you see with a lot of these guys. What's your story? At what age did you become a believer? And how did you first realize you needed a Savior? Well, for me, it was, you know, I was a... I wasn't really necessarily, I wouldn't call myself a non-believer through my teenage years and into my 20s, but I definitely wasn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't, you know, act on it. It was more something I didn't think about. It scared me. I mean, death scared me. I always thought about the what if, of course. You know, I I didn't see the world through the same lens that I do now, but in my late 20s, just a matter of different circumstances in my life, uh, you know, I, I started to see and kind of crave Jesus. I remember thinking of, I, I was I used to joke I was really into Jesus in a historical sense. I just wanted to know as much about him as I could, but I still didn't think of him as the Son of God. I just thought of him as a historical figure. And I bought a Bible and I left it, you know, in the wrapping, and I never really opened it up or anything like that. Uh, but as I got later in my twenties, started having these kind of you know experiences that you would just call supernatural experiences, things that I couldn't explain, things that were making sense that were leading me directly to God. And when I opened up that book and I started to pray, I mean, just things changed dramatically and undeniably. I've always had a hard time, I can always say now, I have a much harder time not believing in God than I would believing in God, because at this point, all the evidence 
so stacked with just layers and layers of things that maybe a non-believer would call a coincidence, but I know exactly where it's coming from. And when those things started happening, the more it's kind of like a snowball effect. <laughs> the more I looked into it, the more it was showing itself. And since then, I, you know, I haven't looked back. It's been an incredible experience. I, I can't tell you about the relationships that have been built based upon my faith, the way I can look at the world. Uh, it just all makes a little bit more sense. And, uh, and I'm glad to get to share that with you and your listeners today. In reading some of your work, your faith is so evident in your writings, but you seem to struggle like so many of us do with seeing Jesus in the lives of those who claim to love him. And covering professional sports as a writer, you must see and face any number of temptations and witness firsthand the ugliness and shallowness of pro sports. How do you keep on the narrow path, and how do you try to reflect Christ in your circles? You know, for me, it's it's all about community. I think that, you know, having the right community around you is always going to help keep you accountable uh, to those things and who we say we are. And, and I think that's the same for a lot of guys in professional sports. I mean, look, <clears throat> I believe that a lot of the way people view Christians is this kind of holier-than-thou approach where they think, you know, Christians have all the answers or they think they have all the answers or they think they're perfect. And, and we know, you know, as Christians that, there's a lot of brokenness in all of us, and we're always looking to God to heal that in us and looking for community around us to heal. So for me, being around that landscape and talking to a lot of guys, a lot of these NBA stars are strong Christians. There's superstars out there that you wouldn't even know, you know, are believers in God, but they are, and they've struggled so much through the years. They've fought through adversity. I can think of, you know, a guy like Dwight Howard, who's a guy who has strong belief, but he's struggled to keep on that path at times. But that's like all of us. And he's a guy in his young 20s, and he's got a you know, microphone in his face and cameras watching him at all times. And I'll tell you, if someone was watching me that closely during my 20s, I wouldn't look so hot. So I think that uh, you know, it's really all about taking that approach of just loving, understanding, and having community, which kind of keeps me and a lot of these guys on the right path. How can we pray for you? For me, I think it's, you know, it's exactly that. It's in this you know, when I, when I do have a little bit of a platform, which I do in this NBA world, getting to talk about sports, I always just want to keep focus on what the greater meaning is. Easy to get into, you know, ripping Amari Stoudemire's contract or, you know, <laughs> getting into Phil Jackson's triangle and trying to have a mean approach to it. It's easy to be snarky in this world, and I think I fall into that trap a lot. And I just want to exude. I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing I want to do is I want to act in the character of Jesus, and I want prayers to make sure that I maintain that. And I thank you for that opportunity for prayer. We've been talking with Jimmy Spencer. You can follow him on Twitter at Jimmy Spencer NBA. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Let's do this again. Yeah, I'd like that. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country, Pass Solutions. 